0: Bam. We are back with the third edition of the Pod Wars. I want to thank you guys for the overwhelming positive support and response we've gotten from the first two episodes And uh, since I'm still living the bachelor life here in Virginia for a couple more days uh, We decide we're going to keep it going Jordan, what's going on in Omaha?
1: Uh, things are good um, Just to echo what you said, yeah Thanks to everyone for the positive support um, We really appreciate it um, This is something that uh, me and Seth love doing and we're going to keep doing it as long as the support's there and uh, feedback is good. Cause once the feedback sucks, we're done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty fragile. One negative review. And we'll probably just pull the plug on this whole <laughs> we're thing. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, seriously, thank you guys. Uh, please keep the, uh, keep the topic suggestions coming and we'll try to uh, crank out some, some content a little bit different from the, the flagship chick fil show. Uh, we want to plug social media real quick. Make sure you guys follow my wife Sheena at Chick Foley. Follow the Pod Foundation at Pod Foundation. That's where you can keep up with our friends over at Turnbuckle Tavern, the Extra Cooler Show, and Coming Down the Aisle. And uh, Jordan, where can they find you on Instagram?
1: Uh, it is at the Fig God on Instagram.
0: And if interested, you can become a premium Foley Fam member and take advantage of all the awesome benefits that go along with that at ChickFoleyShow.com. And check out some new merch at the relaunched ChickFoleyShop.com. So all those links will be in the show notes if you guys want to check those out and help support us to keep bringing you guys all the amazing content uh, that we do. Support our presenting sponsors, Ringside Collectibles and Chalkline by using code Chick Foley to save 10% on all your figure purchases at Ringside Collectibles. And you can save 10% courtesy of the Pop Foundation by using code PF10 at Chalkline. Jordan, did you see those WrestleMania 6 shorts that are dropping? I did. What is your thoughts on the back graphic? I know that's caused some controversy online. It's the uh, it's, it's the start of the uh, the test of strength, the famous test of strength uh, test of strength scene from WrestleMania six.
1: Definitely looks like uh, you're taking yourself in for a midlife doctor's visit. Um, <laughs> I don't, man. I was gonna order these two, and then I started seeing people wearing them, and I was like. Uh it wasn't really good placement but on the front would have probably been even worse so I don't, I don't really know where you were supposed to go with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting uh interesting design choice there but hey, we love our friends at Chalkline so please support. Uh let's get into this episode. So we are going to talk about post Wrestle you know WrestleMania follow-ups, post WrestleMania feuds, post WrestleMania matches. Um This really became a thing starting in 1995 with the monthly pay-per-views with the In Your House was the start of it. Then it eventually morphed into backlash uh, and or payback. There's been a few other random pay-per-views that have just happened to be the first one after uh, after WrestleMania. But traditionally, it's been backlash prior to that. You know, WrestleMania 10 and earlier, a lot of times you would just see a continuation of the um, of whatever the WrestleMania storyline would be, you know, you'd have that going to typically some sort of tag match or something at SummerSlam. And, and that was kind of just the way that things ran back then. It wasn't until um, the monthly pay-per-views and the Raw after Mania became a thing that you would see them have a hot angle to start off the, basically the new year in wrestling. Uh, what about you, Jordan? What's some of your just overall thoughts on, on post-WrestleMania storylines and feuds?
1: Yeah. I do like this because, um, like Seth said, uh, the Raw After Mania is typically the restart of the new year. Um, so generally, the first pay per view after, like he was saying, the In Your House is then to the Backlash. Um, sometimes you get some pretty good shows out of these. Now there has been years where it has not been up to snuff. Um, I feel like they start way too many new feuds on some of them. Um, but I-, I like the new feuds. I just I want to see probably half and half. I like to see a little continuation along with some new feuds. Cause I obviously don't want to watch just WrestleMania 2.0. Um, so it, it is nice to get some new feuds introduced and yeah, the, they're always fun to watch. Um, there's, there's, there's
0: been years where, uh, where backlash ends up being better than the WrestleMania that preceded it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're now technically on the road to SummerSlam, which is typically the second best pay-per-view WWE puts on every year. Um, so they usually try to start building some good storylines heading towards that, especially with now it being the end of July. So, I mean, we're only three months out from that. So, um, I'm, I I do like this pay-per-view. I'm glad they brought it back. I wish they would drop the WrestleMania backlash and just go back with backlash because there's been a lot of good backlash matches, and we're going to get into some of them tonight. So,
0: So, you're saying you got some backlash to the name WrestleMania backlash.
1: Yeah, you could say that.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they needed to do it. I mean, the WrestleMania has always basically been implied. Um, I don't know why they felt the need to just bash it over our head that, yeah, this is the follow up to WrestleMania. When they first announced this last year, I don't know if you guys remember, I had the theory that WWE was getting so lazy with their pay-per-view names and concepts that we were going to suddenly see WrestleMania backlash. SummerSlam backlash, Survivor Series backlash, Royal Rumble backlash—like every big event would just have its own backlash event, just to really give them, you know, you know even more of an excuse to be less creative with their uh, with their feuds and pay per view concepts. But luckily, that luckily I was a little bit off base on that one. Um, we got seven matches picked out that uh, we're going to discuss. They're in no particular order. Uh, Me and Jordan just kind of were bouncing some ideas back and forth and put together a list of seven matches. So feel free to uh, chime in and let us know if it's any that you think we definitely left off uh, our list um, and that you would like to hear us talk about on maybe some future episode. So we're going to start it off in 2009, Backlash, last man standing match between Edge and John Cena. So I'll kick off the discussion on this one. Um, it's been well told on here that I took a 10 year break from being a wrestling fan, basically from WrestleMania 20 to WrestleMania 30. I hate, 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 capital H hate the ruthless aggression era. Now, 2009, would would that be classified as ruthless aggression or the PG era, Jordan?
1: Uh, it's probably the, the bridge to it is right around that time.
0: Yeah. Either way, both of those are just repug to me. I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of early or like early two thousands, um, like music and fashion and just like graphic design. I don't think has aged all that well. So a lot of it just seems repug. It's not old enough that where there's a real nostalgia factor to it yet, um, and I'm just not feeling it. I did like the two ECW shows in 2005 and 2006. Was that a, was that one night stand? Yep. Yeah, I did like those. Those hit. Other than that, it's been few and far between where I've really been entertained by something uh, from that era. I did go back and watch this match, though, um, and I'll kick it to Jordan to explain to us why this match is so good.
1: Yeah, so um, at this time, Edge was a full-on heel. Uh, Cena was obviously getting booed by the smart crowd because everyone just thought Cena was just out there for kids, so... Um, and, and I've said from day one that Cena would not get appreciated until he was done. And I mean, there's a lot of people that wish Cena was on the roster right now. Cause having that star power at the top would definitely help. Um, as far as this match goes, uh, there's, I, I like this match cause there's a lot of cool spots in this match. And that's kind of what you look for when you talk about a last man standing, you're not expecting like a technical classic or anything you're more expecting. Some technical and then a lot of spots, right? Um, so for for the in-ring action, there is quite a bit. Uh, there's one spot in this match that I absolutely hate, and I went back and watched it again. It made me remember it. Cena is getting put in a sleeper hold by Edge, and he's basically acting like he's completely out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he jumps up, flings off the ropes, and <laughs> hits his four moves. I'm like the blocks. Yeah. Like, how does this just happen out of nowhere? <laughs> um, th- they did have a really, they had a couple really cool moments in this match, though. Cena does an AA off the announcer's table uh, yeah. into the crowd, which is an awesome, it's a really good visual. I mean, obviously, it was a bunch of staged people there, but it's, it's a cool visual. So,
0: you know, I'm the king of kayfabe. If I could jump in real quick. I watched this match last night because um, this was one of two matches on the list that I hadn't seen yet. It looked cool. You're 100% right. It was a cool visual. But would that have even hurt Edge? Because he kind of got caught by the people in the crowd.
1: I mean, you're, n- you're not wrong. It's just like, I'm sure at some point you're going to fall on the top of one of those ringside chairs. Like, no matter how many people are there, again, we're keeping God. a kayfabe here. He's going to hit one of those chairs. Like and, and
0: the people were probably Cena fans. Maybe they hit him with like, a little elbow in the ribs, and that's why it was so devastating. Or maybe
1: they just moved out of the way, because they didn't really show us him landing. They just showed us at the aftermath of it. So, right. Hey, who knows? Maybe they moved out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> kayfabe only here, pal. Uh, there's a lot of stair spots in this match. Did you did you notice that? Like how many times they yeah. use the stairs in this match? I thought that was kind of cool because they've really went away from that in the past, like 15 years. I mean, there's not a whole lot of stair spots in matches anymore, and if there is, it's not more than one. Yeah, this it, this match definitely hooked
0: me. I'll give you that. The first eight or nine minutes, I w- it was moving a little slow, and I wasn't really feeling it. But then once they started just trading the high spots, I was in on it to the point where. I was just like, holy cow, how are they actually going to you know, have somebody win this? These guys are getting up from these incredible bumps. And then, of course, the Big Show comes out to uh, kind of just wipe the slate clean on the match. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the Big Show's appearance there at the end of it there, Jordan?
1: So usually I don't like these interference spots because they usually don't add a whole lot to the match. But, dude, the spot that Big Show does is pretty freaking awesome. I mean, that's something yeah, it, we'll probably never see again, and it was the first time we'd ever seen it. So, he, for those that don't know, he chokes, slams in through the spotlight. There's there's a bunch of spotlights at the entrance for Backlash. The entrance of Backlash is really cool as well on this show. Um, but he chokes, chokeslams in through the spotlight, and all the fireworks go off and stuff. It's pretty cool. So, I, I like the the Big Show finish at the end. I mean, usually I'm not a fan of these ending like that, but... I enjoyed it.
0: Speaking of the ending, what are your overall thoughts on the last man standing stipulations? And that includes last man standing um, Texas Deathmatch Traditionally uses the same kind of rules where you have a, basically a 10 count is what it takes to win the match. What, what's your thoughts on that match stipulation?
1: I'm usually not a humongous fan of these because I kind of feel like they get really carried away with just doing spots and they don't really focus on an actual match per se. Um, I felt like this one was good. I mean, yeah, there was a ton of spots in it, but they were also in the ring probably about half the match. So it's not like your normal last man standing where 98% of it's outside of the ring and then the other two percents when they start the match. So I like this one, but generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of last man standing matches.
0: Yeah. I'm not a huge fan either just because it makes it so difficult in how you structure the match. Generally, the thing that takes matches from being really good to hitting that like greatness level is awesome near falls, right? Where you're just totally captivated and it takes your breath away because you think the match is over and the dude just gets the shoulder up or kicks out at the last second. And that's really gone in last man standing matches because you have the ten count. I mean, sure, there's you see the guys get up at nine and a half, but it's still not the same as uh, as the kick out or whatever. So. I I don't like it from that standpoint, but I do appreciate its spot in wrestling as um, basically the true blow off of a feud. You rarely see a feud continue after some guy beats another guy for a 10 count because it's hard to really make any argument that, uh, you know, you're the better wrestler at that point.
1: Yeah, 100% agree with you.
0: So this was Edge and Cena from Backlash 2009. I will, in the show notes, I'll make it easy for you guys. We'll go ahead and put the uh, the list of all the matches that we're discussing. So that way, uh, it's easy for you guys to put together a, a little playlist or something of uh, matches that you want to see. Again, WWE Network slash Peacock. I've been saying this for years. You need to give us a custom playlist option. How cool would that be? Jordan, if we could just go ahead and clip together all seven of these matches and, and have a custom link to share it with uh, with the listeners to just have them play through.
1: And I don't understand why they won't do that. Like, the the layout of Peacock is just so weird the way they do everything. I, I just don't get it. But we'll, we'll save that for another day. Yeah, I
0: think custom playlists would be really cool for just the way that wrestling fans consume wrestling. And then another thing would be like a virtual watch party. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I could... Say, me and Sheena are here, and we decided to put on a pay per view. We could share the link, and anybody that clicks it could automatically jump in right where we're at, you know. And I don't know, you could throw you could have it incorporated into the app with like some chat features or something like that. But I feel like that's something that could really add to the level of, of immersiveness and watching the product too. Yeah. But yeah. you know, There's, they're raking in the cash. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care what we think. All right, let's go to the next match. We're going to go 11 years uh, back from 2009, Unforgiven, 1998. So this was still under the In Your House label, but at this time they had been giving them – like subtitles, and by this point, the subtitles were were bigger. Like if you look at the poster for this event, it's pictured the Undertaker, and they got Unforgiven in huge letters, and then real tiny underneath is "In Your House." So, <laughs> the "In Your House" the title was was starting to fade at this point; it would have about a year left to go. But this is Steve Austin's first title defense um, after winning the belt from Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14 against Dude Love. Uh, I, I really like this match. I like this storyline. This is one. Where you know Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 30 that was his last match for four years, so this was definitely a case where they started a brand new storyline um, right after Mania. It was really Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon, but Mick Foley basically became uh, you know Vince McMahon's basically avatar in the ring. That was the person who did all his bidding and stuff. It would eventually uh, lead to Survivor Series that year where. They thought that it looked like they were rigging the tournament for Mick Foley when, in fact, uh, they were actually making The Rock, the corporate champion. But this was the first pay-per-view title defense for Austin. Really good match. Kind of your standard uh, Attitude Era brawl. It ends in just a fuck finish where I think Mick Foley actually wins this match by DQ. But Steve Austin counted his own three count in the ring. Vince gets taken out on a stretcher. Uh, It's just it's a bananas match from the Attitude Era. Um, I liked it. Jordan, what's your thoughts on this match?
1: Yeah, it, it was funny that Austin counted his own three like the absolute boss that he is, though. And then they started playing his music immediately. I was like, did he really win this match?
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just your normal attitude error match. We've talked about this numerous times. Some of these attitude error matches, man, they don't age well. This match is definitely fun. There's a ton of interference. I mean, the Stooges come down to the ring. Vince gets hit with a nasty chair shot from Austin.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, But yeah, Jr. and King are going back and forth. This is definitely an attitude era show. It's just, it's really funny the way you go back and listen to Jr. and the King just giving each other shit the whole time. Um, But yeah, here in the Austin pop, I mean, dude, everything gets you excited when Austin comes out. Like even if you weren't excited for a match here in Austin's pop, it it always gets you jacked. So yeah, fun match.
0: yeah, he always brought a level of intensity just in the way he walked out to the ring that just could set the crowd on fire. Uh, it's funny that Dude Love ended up being the um, the second of Mick Foley's three personas to get a uh, championship match, uh, even though Cactus Jack was the one that was most well-known coming into his WWE run. Which of the three faces of Foley was your favorite, Jordan?
1: Um, As far as credibility, I would definitely go with Cactus Jack just because... I mean, dude, when you say the name Cactus Jack, it just, you you just recognize like what he did in wrestling and the shit he did to his body. I mean, obviously, it's, it's second to none. I mean, that dude did not care about his body at all. Uh, Dude Love was fun, though. I'll admit, I did like Dude Love. I, I just thought it was so weird seeing this serious dude dancing around the ring and stuff. But yeah, Cactus is definitely my favorite, though.
0: Cactus Jack is a close second to me. My favorite was the original run of Mankind, like really the first, uh, the first maybe two years that he was there before he was um, rocking the the dress shirt and stuff, being groomed to be the corporate champion for Vince. I liked the the all brown leather mask Mankind, where you know he had the. I always thought it was so cool that he had different entrance music and victory music. Remember, he'd play the piano music after he uh, after he won. He had his big match against Shawn Michaels at In Your House Mind Games. Um, I just really thought Mick Foley was on fire in that character. And it also gave some really cool figures as well. Uh, So that would be my pick. The other notable thing about this match, it was the first defense of the big eagle belt. Remember the winged eagle, the classic winged eagle. It got retired the night after WrestleMania 14. Uh, Jordan, what's your favorite WWF world title design through the years?
1: Oh, it's definitely the winged eagle. I mean... The, this, the Winged Eagle belt has always been my favorite, and it always will be. Um, I I just love everything about that belt, the history behind it, the people who won it. I mean, it's kind of hard to beat that belt as far as the WWF belt's concerned for me.
0: Yeah, same, 100%, man. I, I love that one. It's the one HBK had, the one Brett had. You know, it's the one Austin won to, to start. It's just... Just an absolutely beautiful title. Like when I hear wrestling championship, that's the first belt that pops in my mind. Uh, What's your least favorite of all time? The Spinner world title. Not even remotely close. Yeah, I dig the Spinner for being for Cena when he first won it. I don't
1: know why they kept it for so long, though, man. I loved the Spinner US title. I thought that was like one of the most unique titles ever. Still to this day, I think that's one of the most unique titles ever. I did not love it on the world title, though. Yeah, I just like I said, it was cool for a personal
0: belt for Cena. Why would you keep it though? They've never done that at any other time. Like no one else ever held the Broken Skull Belt
1: besides Austin, right? Well, The Rock stole it, but yeah, exactly. Um, I, and yeah, and they kept it for Miz and Edge. Like I, I don't know. That's yeah. just such a no
0: one ever. Uh, you know, no one ever won the uh, the environmental championship. Daniel Bryan had as soon as Kofi beat him, they bust out a new belt.
1: Yeah, it's just so weird that they kept that out around as long as they did. Like, I get that the company was built around Cena at that time, but I don't. Know, maybe they had a reason for it. Maybe they sold the shit out of those belts and they didn't want to retire them. I mean,
0: yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. Kids definitely loved it, um, but it just seems so dated now. And it just it didn't seem like something a guy like you know the you know Edge or, or Miz should be excited to to hold. Um, let's stick with Unforgiven 1998. We got our first controversial pick of the night. I love this match. I think this match fucking rocks. Undertaker versus Kane in the first ever Inferno match. Uh Before I tell you all the reasons why I think it rocks, Jordan, I want you to tell me why does this match suck?
1: Okay, so I texted Seth last night because I watched this again just because I kind of wanted to be prepared for this. I, I don't think the match sucks. I just don't think it's as good as, like, a lot of people make it out to be. Um I think the flames jumping up every time there's a big move was cool, but again, that's really not the match. I mean, I'm just going off the actual wrestling of this match. The wrestling itself is not great. Uh the match finishes outside the ring. Like are we serious here? There's interference, which I already told you my thoughts on interference. There's a time to do it and there's a time not to do it. Vader and Paul Bear, the interference. I just I don't get well, it. Well
0: they had to find a way to make it safe, man.
1: I get it. And then Kane gets set on fire and just his arm gets set on fire and just walks to the back. Like, <laughs> And they don't even yeah. ring the bell until Kane's already gone. Like, I don't know, man, there's just a lot of a weird spots, which you kind of had to expect it. I mean, it was the first time they ever did this match. So like nobody really knew what to expect. And I mean, I get it. It's just, I don't know. It's not my favorite match between these two. Let's just say that. So it sounds like you were
0: looking for Kane to get straight up barbecued.
1: Dude, at this time I'm 13 years old. So when someone says inferno match and somebody's going to get set on fire, I'm like, "All right, man, somebody's about to burn in this ring." Like, <laughs> I mean, dude, we're still in attitude era. Like, would you really have put it past them to burn somebody like Kane's completely on fire? Like, it just doesn't seem like something they would be scared to do.
0: Well, I would say Undertaker and Kane walked so that Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt could run from the uh you remember the Firefly Inferno match back in uh, at the end of 2020. With the uh the flaming fiend.
1: Yeah, but could they That's have could they have really done that if there was a live audience there? No,
0: nah, no, nah, they definitely took advantage of the uh the situation in the uh in the Thunderdome. Uh so for me, I love this match. I actually think this was better than the the WrestleMania fourteen match from the month prior, even though that was a pretty decent match for two big guys. Um I don't know, man. The the gimmick just captivated me. I'd fully embrace how goofy it is, especially like there's literally no kayfabe reason for why the flame should shoot up like when somebody gets <laughs> choke slammed or something. I thought they did some cool spots though. Looking back, I thought that even though the ending was pretty tame, I thought they were pretty fast and loose in there with the fire. Man, it didn't seem like they were being super cautious with it. Um, but yeah, I uh, I just I really enjoyed the uh, I, I enjoyed this match. Like it just hits for me as an Attitude Era uh, staple. I think this was my favorite version of the Undertaker. Ministry Undertaker was cool, but that jumped the shark really, really quick. So like this kind of like the year before the ministry, was kind of my favorite version of him. And Kane was still a monster at this time. So yeah, I love this one. Just make this, make it a twofer, you know, watch this. And then Steve Austin and do love back to back, just kind of perfectly encapsulates 1998. Um, 1998 WWF and you could kind of pair this one with King of the Ring you know these four guys were at the top of the card at that time a couple months after this uh you have the legendary Hell in the Cell match between Taker and Mankind and then the main event that night was Austin and Kane and all four of those guys were involved throughout the night so yeah this uh again just kind of captures a moment in time there for 1998 WWF so big fan of this one uh I think it's I'm going to put it as the second best Inferno match ever. I will give Randy and Bray the nod for the best Inferno match ever, just because we got that image of the, the fiend being completely engulfed in flames and, uh, eating an RKO. Like that was just an all time moment. You know, what what was your thoughts on that one for, as a uh, Bray Wyatt fan, Jordan,
1: the match itself, I enjoyed a lot. I mean, we all kind of knew how it was going to end. Like Orton had, didn't Orton have on like a sleeveless, uh, hoodie or something. We, No, no, no. He had
0: sleeves. He had on a hoodie, and he had pants, I think.
1: Okay, I just remember he had a hoodie on, but, dude, everybody knew Bray was going to be the one that was going to take it. That match was really enjoyable. The the matches where they had to do, like, basically jump the shark. I mean, in the Thunderdome, it was easier for him to do because they could cut away, and people wouldn't see it, or they could tape it and say that it was live. I mean, it was a lot easier for him to do then than it would be now, obviously, so I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it was cool. I, I did like the times when they took advantage of the of the situation to give us something that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Um, is there any other goofy gimmicks that you're a fan of? I definitely classify Inferno match as a goofy gimmick just because the premise is so dumb. Like, why would you ever need to set your opponent on fire to win the match? I mean, uh, What other goofy gimmick matches are you a big fan of, though, Jordan?
1: I mean, I think
0: Buried Alive is a pretty
1: goofy gimmick. Like, you really have <laughs> to bury your opponent? Like, come on, man. <laughs> like what you couldn't just do like uh like I, I don't know man match. yeah we went from casket to oh now you gotta bury your opponent like i, I don't know i just thought that was really like I, th- I just remember at the time thinking why would they need to bury him like i mean i get it but
0: at the time i never questioned it i was just totally totally <laughs> enchanted by this giant mound of dirt and you know gravesite down by the entranceway
1: it was cool. Like it don't get me wrong, it looked awesome. Like the the image of it always looked cool. It's just like going back on it now, it's like, uh, why couldn't they have just done another casket match or like <laughs> you had to set the casket on fire? I don't know.
0: The uh I'm still a big fan of December nineteen ninety five in your house, the hog pin match. They've never run that one back, man. Henry Godwin versus Triple H. We've never had another hog pin match since then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my favorite. For least favorite, I'll probably go with the uh the loser has to have their eye removed match between <laughs> Seth and Rey Mysterio. Like you that about? was just the worst, man.
1: What about Judy Bagwell on a poll? That was pretty good too.
0: I mean, that one was at least funny, though. I think that one was supposed to be ridiculous. Like, they presented (laughs) Seth and Ray as this, like, dramatic match. And the fucked up thing is, they had a great match, man. Like, the match they had was banging until they got to, like, the ending sequences where you literally had to remove your opponent's eyeball. And then it just ended with Samoa Joe going, it's out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So bad. That match is so bad at the end yeah it's horrible let's uh
0: let's have a drink to kind of wash the taste of these uh, horrible gimmick matches out of our mouth all right we're keeping the kanye theme going on the beverage break hit you guys with the instrumental from spaceship from the college dropout jordan what are you drinking tonight man
1: i am drinking a bangerang tropical ipa it's from kinkater brewing in nebraska um one of the liquor store owners that i know here told me to come pick some of these up and he wasn't wrong these are hitting
0: that sounds really really good i'm drinking something from uh, one of my local favorites smart mouth brewing it's called family photosynthesis so get this man this is a Plant-based IPA. So, oh, wow. yeah, it's is a uh, it's a celebrate Earth Day early with our dank blend of Kohatu, Cashmere, Laurel, Nelson, Stratus, Centennial, and Citra cryo hops for one dank, fruity, super hazy brew. Now, I was a little bit confused about this. I was talking to one of my buddies who is also a uh, a big beer fan. Are all IPAs and basically all beers not plant-based unless they have some sort of like dairy component?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. They should all be plant-based. Know.
0: Yeah, so I still got to do some research on exactly what makes that. I don't know if it's just a gimmick. It's got some cool uh, cool can art and stuff, but uh, it may just be like a joke that I'm not in on, but they definitely presented it as like a serious thing that this is a plant-based IPA. So we need to figure out what makes it uh, different from all the rest, but
1: go ahead. I just now noticed on this beer too, because I always forget to mention like the fruits and stuff that are in this passion fruit, melon, ripe mangoes, and sun-kissed berries
0: mmm sun-kissed berries yeah. nothing you want the some berries that have been like emo and
1: goth and hanging out in the dark yeah you don't want any cloud-kissed berries you're only looking for the sun ones
0: and you said it was ripe mango yeah as opposed to stale mango
1: I guess. I don't know man. I just I'm just <laughs> drinking it. I was like, I know you want like to it. sounds really
0: good. When you said bangering tropical IPA, I was like it made me thirsty, man. I was like, Oh, that sounds like what I need to drink. <laughs> I've definitely gotten more into like the juicy, like fruitier IPAs instead of like the more piney ones. This one I'm drinking right now, as you could guess, being plant based, it's definitely the more like dank, bitter, like plant like you know, like i guess piney i guess the best way to describe it right like the original ipa flavors you know yeah i feel like the last few years we've gotten the more like fruity
1: stuff I'll, Um, i'll have to send you some of these beers from this brewery they uh they do for every season they do a different tropical ipa the last one they did was called dragon juice and that one was really good too so i'll have to send you some of these nice yeah i love a good
0: uh i love a good tropical ipa i'm uh I actually got some news. Hopefully nobody from the local beer seat is listening. Um, so I'm leaving Virginia on Thursday. It's it's April 18th as we're recording this. So the 21st, I'm hitting the road to go to Kentucky and meet up with Sheena and the kids and before we ultimately head down to Tennessee for for my new job. Um, but Smart Mouse got this uh, Grateful Dead inspired beer releasing on Friday It's the same thing, a tropical IPA. So I was like, shit, I really need to try this beer. So just on a whim, I emailed him today. I was like, hey, is there any way you guys could sell me a pack of this on Wednesday? Uh, You know, me and Sheena have been huge fans and supporters of you guys throughout the years, always shouting you guys out on Instagram and stuff. And sure, I, I just figured, like, Hail Mary, let me try. And sure as shit, they wrote me back, like, 30 minutes later. They said, yeah, come at 2.30 on Wednesday afternoon. They said, bring a bag so nobody sees me uh, sneaking it out of the place. But they're going to hook it up.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man. Good for you.
0: Yeah, man. So I'll have some, uh, some road beers to drink on that trip to, uh, to Kentucky. Now we're talking. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. This is a match that I had not watched until last night. Backlash 2004. This is literally one month after I... Kind of just took my sabbatical from wrestling. Randy Orton versus Mick Foley for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh I watched this last night and I gotta say, I was very, very impressed, man. It's uh in some ways it's uh it's crazy to see how little Randy Orton has aged in the last eighteen years, because I feel like he moves out there nowadays the same way he did. But then another way there were flashes of like athleticism that I just hadn't seen from Randy Orton uh, before from that, but it was an awesome match. You know, Mick Foley always did such a good job of putting over the younger stars, not just going out there and doing the traditional, like, you know, take do the job for the, for the up and comer. Like he did it in a way where they really got over off of it. You know, they didn't just go over. They got over when they got those wins over Mick. Uh, I think it was the biggest win of Orton's career up to that point. And there were just some really crazy, huge spots, man. So, um, the RKO on Barbie to win it was just brutal. Like I was literally like cringing as I'm, uh, as I'm watching it. Uh, Jordan, this was one that you wanted on here. Why do you love this match so much?
1: All right. First of all, we got to talk about, uh, Mick. This dude was down to 273 pounds at this point, down from 325 years earlier than this. So he was really in the best shape of his career at this time, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, yeah, like you said, it, it really shines a light on how big of a star Orton was going to be in the business. Um, it, it's absolutely brutal, though. You're 100% right. This this match is brutal. Um, I read something online that Orton like tried to kind of practice himself a little bit for the tack spot he took. So he tried to like stick a tack in his back at home, and he's like, he was like terrified. Oh yeah, he was terrified that he was gonna have to do the spot. Like even Jericho asked him, like, "Dude, are you sure you want to do this?" And he's like, "Yeah, we, we got to do it. We got to make the match good." Um, Cactus was cut on his arms, hands, and fingers. He had seventy five cuts on his body. That A lot of get- blood, man. Yeah, A lot of blood. Yeah, I mean, dude, he got hit with the barbed wire bat and two by four so many times. Um But Orton said the worst part is he ended up getting tacks in all of his fingertips. And like he, they, yeah. he said at the end of that match, he couldn't even feel his hands. Like th- that's absolutely, and that spot there. I think there's like eight minutes left after that spot, and so dude, he worked eight minutes and he couldn't feel his fingers. The
0: thumbtacks are still something. After all my years of watching wrestling, that they still give me the heebie-jeebies, man. When I see somebody pull the bag out from under the ring. Um I can't believe Randy Orton tried to practice that. I feel like that's something I would just want to take in the ring and let the adrenaline take over. How about you?
1: Yeah, there's no way in am practicing that. Uh, I, I would be absolutely terrified, first of all, if if someone told me, hey, man, you're going to have to take some tax And I would be like, oh, perfect. But he knew about it for like three weeks because they were like, you sure you want to do this? Because Cactus was like, hey, I'll do it if you don't want to do it. I don't care. Um, I don't remember who they said wrote this match, but they were like, I mean, Cactus already agreed to do this. He's like, no, we got to make the match the way it is. Because, dude, when you look back at it, usually like the young stars and Orton was on his way to being a star. Don't take these type of bumps because no, they don't. Orton was basically a pretty boy. And then uh, the other spot I really like is when uh, Cactus throws Orton off the stage onto the table and then follows it up with an elbow drop to the floor, which it was a picture perfect (laughs) elbow (laughs) drop, no less. Yeah.
0: Classic Cactus elbow. If I had one one kind of gripe on this, so he he came out dressed in the Cactus Jack gear, um, was wrestling the Cactus Jack style. I hated that they used the Mick Foley music and introduced him as Mick Foley. You know, yeah. I feel like it would have hit if you know it, it seemed like from watching the montage that all the build up to this was Mick Foley. I think it would have hit if they would have hit that classic guitar lick for uh, Cactus Jack's music, and he just would have came out as Cactus Jack for this match. uh, But, you know, that's a small gripe. I, I really enjoyed this one, and, and I got to thank you for recommending it to me, man.
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a really fun match. Uh, I'm glad you watched it because I, I know there is that 10-year period where you didn't watch anything. So, yeah, anytime I come up with these, I'm like, uh, he needs this one on his list. That could be a,
0: uh, a good idea for, you know, Pod Warriors episode down the road, man. We kind of let between you and the listeners kind of fill in the blanks and come up with like a five or six match playlist stuff we could watch to introduce me to it because uh there is some uh, there's i could definitely know that there's some gems to be found in that era i don't think i'm alone in that being my least favorite era of wrestling i think that's pretty common for fans that that time frame just was not the greatest
1: uh but there's still some good matches to be found and that could be fun uh episode down the road and, i mean dude there was a there's a ton of first ballot hall of famers that are wrestling during that time too is the crazy thing i mean triple h was arguably at his biggest point during that time which is kind of crazy to think about true yeah and i mean that was the rise of cena also that was when cena was at the peak cena, of Cena, batista orton like dude there was a Edge. lot of yeah i mean they undertaker was still doing his thing yeah they they made a lot of stars out of this era so yeah that would that would be a fun thing to go through
0: yeah, it's still wrestling too. So it's always great. Even when wrestling's bad, it's still great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to a match that I absolutely fucking love that I think Jordan's a little bit more lukewarm on. So this is April 1996 in your house, Good Friends, Better Enemies. HBK defending the World Championship against Diesel in a no holds barred match. Um, let's start by Jordan. This was in Omaha. Why were you not at this show? First of all, I'm
1: 11 years old at this time, so it's not like... No
0: excuses. Hey, whoa!
1: I'm 11 years old, and it's not like I just tell my parents, hey, I need to go to this show tomorrow. The worst part about it is the Warrior wrestles on this, too, and I didn't even get to go to this pay-per-view. I don't remember what happened, but something happened this weekend where we couldn't go, because I remember talking to my mom about this, how much I wanted to go, and I don't remember what happened, but for some reason, I couldn't go to it.
0: Yeah, this was... um so again, Sean's one month off of winning the belt from Brett at WrestleMania 12. I think this is arguably as over as he ever was as a baby face right here, at least in his first round. I think he was a little bit more beloved, universally beloved his second time around. But as far as his first time goes, I think this was at the height of his babyface powers because... It was just a couple months after this that Vader started getting a push against him and Sid, and Vader and Sid had support from the Smarks. Right at this time, though, even the Smarks were loving HBK because he was so good in ring. This is Diesel's last match before heading down south to start the NWO with Scott Hall. Um, and I just think this match fucking rocks, man. Like Sean takes a crazy jackknife through the table, uh, unclear table, right? So there's TVs and everything on there. It was way more reckless than the table spots they have nowadays uh diesel ones up using the artificial leg of the legend mad dog vashon as a weapon but my favorite spot man like it it's, it gives me chill. like i don't know if i wouldn't say it gives me chills it like it just it makes me it warms up my wrestling fan heart um i'm smiling from ear to ear every time i go back to watch it sean goes over clean as a sheet right he hits i want to say he hits two straight chin music. So i think he hits one and then he goes to the corner And does the whole tune up the band routine. He's stomping loud, stomping slow. And if you watch, they got like the wide cam on as he's doing it. There's a section of probably about 15 or 20 kids up in the stands that they're stomping along with Shawn Michaels as he's stomping. (laughs) They're like stomping and clapping their hands along with him as he's stomping. And you can just tell the whole stadium's behind him. He freaking, uh, knocks out diesel with the sweet music pins him gets up afterwards he does diesel's taunt he does he mocks hulk hogan's poses and then he does the uh the razor ramon taunt as well to just kind of basically be like fuck you guys for leaving uh because this was also Razor Ramon's last pay per view. Also, he fought Diesel or he fought Vader in the undercard. Um, I just I love this freaking match, man. And the actual Shawn Michaels is in the black and blue gear. It's actually one of my most wanted Mattels. Like if they do another Ultimate Edition Shawn, I'd love to see this in figure form. Uh, Jordan, what's some of your thoughts on this match?
1: Uh, I went back and watched this this uh, today actually while I was working just to kind of prepare myself for tonight. Um, Hopefully nobody from Farmers is listening. Yeah, nobody cares. um this is i think i don't know to me after watching back through this again this is probably either his best match or one of uh kevin nash's best matches ever like yeah this match is really good um i don't know why i i don't know man there's just something about this that made me think it wasn't very good it's probably the fact that most in your house shows weren't very good so and it was and in, a lot of them were typically like one match shows. Yeah, and it, it was in Omaha, which generally they do nothing here that gets anyone excited. So I went back and watched <laughs> it today, and yeah, that jackknife. The announcers just say nothing for like three minutes after that spot. It was it was really cool. Uh, the fire extinguisher spot was a nice touch, um, but yeah, and Sean absolutely sells his ass off in this match. Like every single move that Diesel hits, he's selling like a million dollars. Yeah, it's awesome performance from Sean.
0: I think it really cemented him as the man, too, because, you know, he didn't beat Brett 100 percent clean at WrestleMania 12. Um, part of this is just probably my Bret Hart, you know, f- fanaticism talking. But, you know, that match ended before they the 60 minute Man match. It ended with Sean being locked in the sharpshooter for about a minute. The only reason now to his credit, he didn't submit or tap out, but the only reason that he got out of that hold is because the bell rang. Like they made Brett let go of it. They should have established it. There was going to be overtime if it went to a draw and Sean would still be in the sharpshooter to this day for all we know. Um, but uh, you know, that goddamn gorilla monsoon came out and started OT. And I think a lot of fans like maybe, maybe held that against him, you know, that he didn't quite, there was a little bit of an asterisk over his victory against Brett. Um, but this time, you know, Diesel was still really the man in WWE. Diesel had held the belt for a year. He lost it to Brett at Survivor Series the, that prior November. And Brett, honestly, as much as it pains me to say, he was more of a transitional champion. You know, he had kind of, he beat British Bulldog clean in his first title defense, but then he lost, or he beat Undertaker under, uh, or excuse me, he lost to Undertaker by DQ after Diesel interfered. He beat Diesel the next month only because Undertaker interfered. And then he lost to Shawn. So Brett's, his third title reign really, what there wasn't much to it. Um, so Diesel was still kind of the man in WWF. And I think it just made Shawn to, to beat him one two, 3 in the center of the ring that night. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Diesel used Mad Dog Vashon's leg. Jordan, what's your all-time uh, favorite foreign object used?
1: I'm not going to lie. This is pretty high up on it because it's Omaha's own Mad Dog Vashon, no less. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, this is pretty high up for me, <laughs> mainly because the fact that when he pulls the leg off and hands it to him, I'm like, I was dying in my office because I kinda had forgot about it. I'm just like, who hands someone a leg to use? <laughs> like, dude, it's like an ECW crowd. They're like, here, just take this. Like, <laughs> uh, So I'll go with that because it is hilarious watching him hit him with it.
0: For some reason, even though it's kind of like horrible looking back on it, dude, I think one of my favorite foreign objects is Scott Hall using the taser on Goldberg oh, at K uh, 98, man. I don't know why. That one just always cracked me up, you know, that that's how they they decided, yeah, this is how we should beat Goldberg for the first time. Let's use a fucking taser on him before he gets jackknifed.
1: I remember watching that live and I was just like, what a terrible idea. No wonder this company's going under.
0: Both, uh, both matches involve Kevin Nash randomly enough, man. What's up? You think maybe Nash is like just a, uh, got a foreign object fetish?
1: Possibly. I don't know, man, but looking back on that, what a
0: terrible idea. Goldberg was, yeah. I mean, Goldberg's like the hottest thing in the biz and that's how you decide to beat him. And I think Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had even been feuding at the time. So I think that was like how they like reunited and then to make it worse, Five days later, they did the finger poke of doom. So you ended Goldberg's streak just for Kevin Nash to hand the belt back to Hulk Hogan like five days later, you know?
1: Yeah, it, that was the one thing that they had over WWE was that they had a star like Goldberg, and like he was legit, like he was a legit athlete, and they ruined it like that. And I just don't get it so to this day. Yeah, it was horrible.
0: I still say DDP should ended the streak at Halloween Havoc that year. You know, he had the diamond cutter, which was... Basically, the RKO, before the RKO, it was, besides the Stone Cold Stunner, it was probably the most over-finisher in the biz, and it was over as, like, it could end a match at any points. So you could have him hit a diamond cutter out of nowhere, pin Goldberg, and then DDP and Goldberg would have been an awesome main event for Starcade that year, and you could have Goldberg get the belt back, and then he just got the, the streaks out of the way, he still got, you know, all his power, and just let him lead you through the next couple of years, but instead, we got NWO reboot after NWO reboot, and... It was just circling the drain, man. It yeah. sucks because that, that roster was loaded. If you go back and look at the 98, 99 WCW roster, it's insane how much talent was on there.
1: Yeah, those, those cards are all good. And then you get to 2000 and it's like, oh, God.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was rough. On the other side of the fence, though, 2000 was arguably the greatest year in WWE. It was definitely uh, the peak of the Attitude Era, and that is where our next match is from, Backlash 2000 the rock versus triple H it's an awesome match similar to Austin and do love at backlash or excuse me at unforgiven 1998 this is your stereotypical attitude Era match ton of interference Steve Austin makes an appearance on this one they battle all over the arena and it just has it's just wild from the opening bell until the, the finish um, I love this match what about you Jordan
1: yeah th- this is fantastic um... Like you said, there is literally so much interference in this match. I kind of forgot Austin came out because he's still hurt at this point. He can't even bump at yeah. this point. I mean, they basically just wanted to pop the crowd and basically screw uh, the McMahons over. So, yeah, it, it was a good match. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, we wouldn't see Austin for another six months after this. Um, at WrestleMania 2000 or WrestleMania 16, if you're a traditionalist, the fin- the main event was... Uh, A McMahon in every corner. It was a fatal four-way for the belt with Triple H against The Rock, Big Show, and Mankind. I think, you know, I mean, obviously the McMahons have always driven ratings. That's the one thing I'll say in their defense. Um, Dave Meltzer's even talked about that. As much as people criticize all their involvement on stuff, ratings do tend to be higher when they're an active part of the programming. I don't know why they did that, though, instead of just having The Rock and Triple H straight-up Main Event Mania. And you could have booked it the same way you did this one. Would that not be an awesome finish to Mania, having The Rock beat Triple H with the help of uh, Steve Austin? You know, I'm I'm thinking shades of WrestleMania 8 where Warrior helped Hogan. Like, what do you think, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I just kind of feel like at that time, um, I don't know, man. It it almost feels like they kind of felt like they owed Mankind and Big Show a main event at that time, you know? Um, Big Show was only... Two years into the company at that point, I just I feel like they thought they owed him one, and that's why they did it. Um, I, I got why they did it. Like you said, the McMahons are going to insert themselves any way they can. So I, I didn't mind the main event of WrestleMania 2000, honestly. I, I thought it was kind of a cool concept. Granted, then you have this match a month later. That absolutely blows that match out of the water. So looking back on it, it was probably should have just been and Triple H, but... I didn't mind yeah, this time. I, yeah,
0: it's definitely revisionist history for me too because I, I was intrigued by the the fatal four way for the main event as well. I think you know it was really kind of starting in in '98 through 2000 when WWE started doing the multi man matches, and it kind of peaked at WrestleMania 16. Like I want to say that's the WrestleMania where there's only like one one v one match on the whole freaking card. Um, so yeah, I, and and at the time I thought it was cool too. It just it seemed like the they were just really compelling, but but yeah, it, it just stands out because I think this is probably the one time, more than any others, that the uh, the post-Mania match just completely dwarfs what, what they did at Mania. Um, before we get into our last match we're going to discuss, do you have anything that sticks out as your worst post-WrestleMania kind of feud or match?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, Daniel Bryan wrestling Kane the month after he had his uh, awesome WrestleMania 30 <laughs> win is absolutely <laughs> atrocious.
0: I thought about that one, man. That for some reason that one flashed my mind, but I think that's a fun match, man. I think the feud was stupid, right? Like they were. Kane, by that point, Kane had been in the mid card, you know, upper mid card for so long, it was hard to take him serious as, uh, you know much less a credible world championship threat, but they were presenting him as like a horror character. It was like a straight up scary movie storyline where Brie was, you know, going to get kidnapped and they went heavy on the supernatural stuff. Daniel Bryan and Brie would have to act like they were scared and trying to escape the arena. Um, I, but I thought the actual match was pretty fun, man, where Daniel Bryan goes up and hits the, uh, the flying headbutt off the forklift.
1: Okay, I'm not saying the match it was bad, but that's the feud you have him follow up with beating Batista, Orton, and Triple H at Mania. Like I don't know, man. It just it didn't sit right with me.
0: It felt like they gave his babyface momentum to The Shield, because remember, they were going to do the Triple H-Daniel Bryan rematch for the belt the night after Mania, and The Shield came out and rescued him. And then The Shield started feuding with Evolution, while uh, you know Daniel Bryan pivoted to the Kane thing. So it seems like they, they transferred all the juice Daniel Bryan had to the Shield for for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, that, that one was a weird one. This wasn't immediately after WrestleMania, but it was shortly after Mania, the Seth and Baron Corbin one. I still go back to that as being oh, no. one of the most disastrous feuds in the history of professional wrestling. So Seth is white hot. You know They actually had an over top baby face in WWE. Um, coming off of mania he beat Brock for the belt first title defense was actually that was one of those weird years where money in the bank was the first um was the first event after mania he beats aj in a really really cool match at money in the bank and then immediately goes into this like three month long storyline with baron Corbin that just sucked all the life out of uh out of his run and in some ways seth has never really recovered from it man it's sad to say so. I think that was probably my worst one. Worst individual match, though, is definitely Diesel and Sid, the original. The oh. one that started it off. This was April 1995, the first time they had In Your House uh, the month after Mania. Um, this was the night after Mania 11. Psycho Sid turned on Shawn Michaels. And, uh, you know, Diesel came back to help cement Shawn Michaels as a babyface and started feuding with Sid. Now, Diesel, Kevin Nash, he could have really good matches with the right opponent. I don't know if Sid could really have good matches with anybody. Sid was over. I like Sid. Sid was cool, but he was more just like the vibe and the look and the kind of the energy and presence he had. He never really had any bangers in the ring, um, but you put him and Kevin Nash together. It was the most slow, plodding main event I've ever seen, and I absolutely just hate that match, just, even though I, I'm, I'm a big fan of both
1: guys. Yeah, that's basically a one-star match to me. There's there's nothing good about that match. It is it is awful, and to even see that, because I went through, like, post-WrestleMania matches, like, the month after Mania, and that that was on there, I'm like, oh my god, that match is atrocious, how did this even make the list?
0: Yeah, that was, yeah, it was a weird one, man. Uh up next, the last match we're going to discuss is Steve Austin versus The Rock. The Rock making his second straight appearance on here. This is from Backlash 99, so the year prior. Uh, it was a direct rematch from the main event of WrestleMania 15. I thought in a lot of ways this match outshined the one from uh, from 15 big time. You know, WrestleMania 15 was kind of weird from the jump. Uh, Steve Austin actually forgot his vest That day, uh, and had to, you know, he had to come to the ring in a t-shirt. I just feel like that threw the whole vibe off from the start, man. What's your memories of uh, WrestleMania 15, Jordan?
1: That's, I actually think that's one of their worst matches that they had. Just nothing seemed right about that match. So, yeah, this was definitely a huge upgrade. Um, And to have your first ever Backlash pay per view with this as the main event, this this is a good main event to start off Backlash with. So, yeah, I I definitely dig this match.
0: This was actually the last In Your House event, also. I think this was In Your House Backlash. And then after that, the In Your House name was completely dropped. So, pretty historically significant. Um, I put this one second on my all time favorite Austin Rock matches. The I know a lot of people love the match from 17. They were both kind of at the height of their powers. Uh, but that one, I just, the ending, I didn't really like, man. The, you know, Austin Turn and heel, joining with Vince, just never really sat right with me. They're one of their match of WrestleMania 19 is probably my all-time favorite. I put this one right below that. How about you?
1: I think this is okay. So 17 and 19 are definitely above this for me, and then I want to say Survivor Series 2001. Yeah, it's Survivor Series 2001. I think those three are better than this match, but this one's still really good. Yeah, anytime you put Austin and, and The Rock in the same match, it's always going
0: to be pretty good. This one's no different. Um, that's pretty much it. You got any kind of wrap-up thoughts on on post-WrestleMania feuds and matches, Jordan?
1: Um, no, the, there is one thing I want to say about this match. They did hit us with the swerve of swerves when Vince hit Shane with the title in the ring, though. Um, that kind of made this match memorable, considering Shane was the guest referee. But, um, no, no. They usually, like I said at the beginning, they usually do a pretty good job with these WrestleMania blow off pay per views. Um, they generally give you some new stuff as well as wrapping up some WrestleMania feuds. So, this was a fun one to do. We were excited to do this one. Um, so, yeah, this was a good one. These things are
0: really important, especially for new babyface champions. You know, we talked about how Sean had his first big match against Diesel, um, Seth had the disastrous feud with Baron Corbin. Like, if you're a newly crowned babyface champion, it's very, very important that they give you something where you can keep the momentum going off of WrestleMania because there's there's nothing quite like a WrestleMania victory, but all that can go up in smoke a couple weeks after Mania if it's not uh if it's not booked correctly. Yeah, the uh, Jordan the,
1: the Rock goes baby face the night after this too. He's like the biggest baby face in the company the night after this pay per view.
0: Yeah, this would ultimately lead to the formation of the uh, corporate ministry and. I think the less said about that whole storyline, the, the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the uh, all time worst payoffs in wrestling history. Uh, that's a wrap for pod warriors. Number three, uh, Jordan, remind the listeners where they can find you on social media.
1: You can find me at the fig God on Instagram.
0: All right. And remember to follow my wife, Sheena at chick Foley to keep up with, uh, all of our wrestling fandom And check out the Pod Foundation to keep up with All the uh, the entire family Of shows uh, Jordan give us some closing thoughts before we wrap this one up
1: Okay we're going to do a two quote week this week That's going to be my closing thoughts First <laughs> one we're going with uh, Roddy Roddy Piper quote Just when they think they know the answers I change the questions And the last one, courtesy of me We're the Pod Warriors and you're not She sits along my land
2: Trying to find a thought that's escaped her mind. She says there's the one I love the most, but time's not far behind. She never lets me in, only tells me where she's been when she's had too much to dream Said that